Back in high school, I was sitting at the lunch table at the lunch period uh, with some of my basketball buddies, and one of them threw a tater tot across the cafeteria, and it actually hit one of the teachers. Not good, as you can imagine. The teacher walked up to our table, and he directed his comments to me. He thought I threw it. And after lunch, the teacher actually wrote me up and uh, said that I threw the tater tot. Absolutely and patently false. False. Well, I had to go down and talk to the assistant principal about it, and I said that I didn't do it. I was very clear about that, and I made it clear also that I would not rat out the perpetrator who did throw that glorious tater tot. My word, I thought, should have been enough for them to know that it, it wasn't me. Well... Uh, the AP even asked me to, to <laughs> a very odd moment, to write my name down or write the name on a piece of paper at, after he left the room, and then he would come back and see. I'm like, what in the world? I refused to do it. I was like, no. And uh, my dad and I ended up meeting with the AP and that teacher uh, in order to work things out. Now, in high school, people knew that I was a Christian, and people knew that my father was a pastor. And um, so, as we look into this situation, was that religious persecution? Well, I don't know, but it is possible, actually, knowing uh, a few details from my story. It's possible it was. But either way, it was a gross injustice, as small as the issue may seem for some. So, let me ask you the question, uh, have you ever been persecuted for your faith in Christ? And, and it doesn't have to be a gun stuck in your ribs. You might have been left out of something. You might have been laughed at or marginalized or maybe just avoided because of your faith in Christ. And you may not have experienced religious persecution. And that could be for various reasons. But I guarantee that bad things have happened to every single person here. They've happened to you, and I'm not talking about the things that happened to you because you did bad things. Those are called consequences, and you deserve those, okay? We're not talking about those. So throughout this sermon, when I say bad things, I'm not talking about consequences. I'm talking about other people's sin against you in your innocence, maybe abuse, neglect, bullying. Violence, theft, whatever it is. All of us have had events and circumstances along our journey that have left scars, and some of those scars are very deep, and some of those scars may not make sense to us, or maybe they're still sensitive to the touch because they're still healing. And maybe it's hard to find, as you think through those things, any purpose, any meaning at all in this. You might be confused. Your head might be spinning. Do you believe that God is sovereign over even the bad things that have happened to you? Do you believe that God has a good purpose for the bad things that have happened to you? A purpose that glorifies Him and increases your happiness in Him? My friends, Romans 8.28 is actually true. It's true. Look it up and then believe what you read there. My aim in this sermon is to help you see God's magnificent purpose in the bad things that have happened to you. 
so that you can glorify God and be truly happy in Him. That's my aim. You see, God has a glorious purpose for everything that has happened to you. But His purpose may be hard for you to see. It may not be right there on the surface. But if you can see His purpose, then you can fulfill His purpose and ultimately rejoice in His purpose. And I say the phrase fulfill his purpose because you and I actually have a responsibility to respond to injustice in a way that glorifies God. And I know that some of you have been deeply wounded and are going through some very painful things. And so I, I really want to encourage you in that, to build you up, to give you hope. And I want you to see God's purpose in the bad things so that you can fulfill God's purpose in them and that 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 will lead to you rejoicing in God's purpose as you glorify God. Before we head into Philippians 1, uh, verses 12 through 18, I need to establish one critical point that stands behind verses 12 through 18. It's the point that makes verses 12 through 18 work. Jesus Christ is more glorious, beautiful, and valuable than everything else. He is supremely valuable. Paul would not have been able to write verses 12 through 18 and really mean it if he did not truly believe what he wrote later in Philippians 3.8. Just listen to what Paul believed about the supremacy of Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul believed that Jesus Christ was more glorious, beautiful, and valuable than everything else. And that's why uh, Paul meant what he wrote in verses 12 through 18. He meant it with all of his heart. He actually believed this. If you treasure Christ most, verses 12 through 18 can really encourage you to see, fulfill, and rejoice in God's purpose in the injustices committed against you. Treasure Christ most. And then these verses will empower you, they will inspire you, they will energize you, but you have to see the glory and beauty and worth of Jesus first. Or I just don't think these verses are going to do much for you. Uh, These two thought-provoking quotes from Dr. G. Walter Hansen will really make you think about what these seven verses mean and how they apply to you. Dr. Hansen wrote this. Please listen closely. This is really good. Paul focuses on the progress of the gospel rather than on his personal experience in prison. Because it was the gospel that mattered most to him. He exclaims in this letter, for me to live, for for to me to live is Christ. Since Christ was the center of Paul's life, all other details of his imprisonment were peripheral and secondary. The progress of the gospel was, in fact, the most personal concern in Paul's life. End of quote. The supremacy and centrality of Christ in Paul's life is behind verses 12 through 18. 
For Paul, Christ was everything. Everything. Here's a second quote. Paul's focus on Christ made him an expert at reframing his experience so that the negative became a positive. His chains could easily be viewed as a tragic end to a brilliant career, a restriction of a gifted apostle, and an outrageous injustice against a Roman citizen. Instead of being led by his chains to a negative outlook, Paul used them to lead his guards to the knowledge of Christ. He valued his chains as evidence of his union with Christ. He saw his chains as a fulfillment of his ambition to know the participation in the sufferings of Christ, end of quote. Now, that right there could be a turning point for you this morning. It could click this morning and totally change your outlook on things. Paul saw great purpose in his chains to make Christ known He took the injustice committed against him and he used that to preach Christ and to advance the gospel. He focused not on the injustice, but on the opportunity to preach Christ through the injustice. Are you following me? Now, if you get that one point, then you will see God's purpose for the injustices committed against you. Fulfill God's purpose and rejoice in God's purpose. And my aim is to help you do that. Well, for the glory of God. Now, the following four points are heavily dependent upon that first point. They they just don't work without what I just said. And uh, so, so please keep that in mind. Here we go. The bad things that have happened to you can, number one, serve the glorious purpose of advancing the gospel. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here, brothers, actually refers to men and women, uh, the saints at Philippi, which verse 1 and the plural you throughout the passage uh, uh, make clear. All the saints were spiritual siblings. All the saints were born again by the same father. All the saints were adopted into the family of God. Paul really wanted the saints to know that his incarceration was actually serving to advance the gospel more and more. Paul was in chains, but he was in chains for Christ. He preached the good news of Christ. You think Rome liked that? No, Rome did not like preaching the gospel because it conflicted with their worship of Caesar. And so Christ was the cause of Paul's incarceration. But Paul's chains served a magnificent purpose to echo the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection throughout the Roman Empire. Could measly Roman chains stop and prevent the gospel from going out? No way. Not in a million years. The chains only serve to advance the gospel. When Paul used the word really in verse 12, I take him to mean that that the imprisonment actually advanced the gospel to a greater degree than if Paul was never in prison to begin with. Now that is really worth thinking about. Think deeply about that in the context of your own life because that applies to your own life. God uses the worst injustices to advance the truth of his son more and more. 
With great affection, Paul wrote to help the Philippians see that the gospel was still on the move, that his ruthless and his unfair circumstances were actually working for the progress of the gospel. Their their partnership wasn't in vain. Their support of Paul was not in vain. Their struggles were not in vain. In fact, the gospel was surging into some very prominent places in Rome. Look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Praetorion is the Greek word uh, or imperial guard, which probably most likely refers to the special forces soldiers that guarded Caesar. I read that the Imperial Guard was an elite group of 9,000 elite soldiers which sometimes exerted control over Caesar himself. Uh, It was the Imperial Guard who assassinated Caligula in 41 AD and then enthroned Claudius in his place. So the Imperial Guard was powerful. Powerful soldiers exerted influence over Caesar himself. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was spreading throughout the imperial guard and throughout all the rest of the people because Paul was preaching the supremacy of Christ to the imperial guard and the word was getting around of why Paul was in chains. Now scan down over verses 12 through 18, hopefully in your own Bible, which I hope is open. Notice all the phrases having to do with preaching Christ. Advance the gospel, become known for Christ, speak the word, preach Christ, defense of the gospel, proclaim Christ, Christ is proclaimed. You see, Paul was preoccupied with one thing, the proclamation of Jesus Christ and the advance of the gospel. You can see it right there. That's what's most important to him. Broadcast Jesus at all times, everywhere. There is a glorious purpose in every single injustice committed against you. But you'll only be able to see that glorious purpose if, like Paul, you are preoccupied with Christ or you'll probably miss it. Can you see why this point depends on my last point? They all do. Why would anyone want the gospel to advance? Why would anyone want to preach Christ if they don't treasure Christ, if he is not most important to them? Elizabeth Elliot understood this. Her husband, Jim, was brutally murdered by some Waharani warriors in Ecuador. She used the tragedy to preach Christ to the murderers who killed her husband. People in the tribe were getting saved. Elizabeth came to see God's glorious purpose in her husband's death. Francis Chan understands this. Get this. His mother died giving birth to him. His father remarried, and at age nine, Francis's stepmother died in a car accident. His father remarried again, but at age 12, his father died of cancer. Then in high school, his aunt and uncle got into this huge fight, and his uncle shot his aunt dead and then committed suicide. Does Francis hate God? Because of of his bitter providence that God allowed this to happen in his life? No. He loves God more and more. Francis Chan has given his life to proclaiming Christ and advancing the gospel through his international exposure and his writing. He's a best-selling author. Francis sees God's purpose. Tony Dungy understands this. 
Tony's son committed suicide, leaving incredible pain for he and his family. Uh, A few months after his son's suicide, Tony spoke at a packed crowd of NFL people at an Athletes in Action Super Bowl breakfast. He said at that breakfast that some good uh, has come out of his son's death. He told all these NFL people this, quote, If God had talked to me before James' death and said his death would have helped all these people, it would have saved them and healed their sins, but I would have to take your son, I would have said, no, I can't do that. But God had the same choice 2,000 years ago with his son, Jesus Christ, and it paved the way for you and me to have eternal life. Then Tony said this, why does God allow pain in our life? Because we're loved by God and the pain allows us to head back to our Father. And let me add something uh, to that. Heading back to our Father in our pain shows the inestimable worth of God. With the excruciating pain of his son's suicide, Tony saw it as an opportunity to preach Christ. By God's grace, Elizabeth, Francis, and Tony... And so many more saints that we don't even know their names were not ruined by their hardships. Instead, they found purpose and meaning and joy in proclaiming Christ through and in their hardships. Are you so enraptured with Jesus Christ that you can see his magnificent purpose in your hardships? The purpose is clear for you, to proclaim the incomparability of Jesus Christ. Show the world that Jesus is supreme. Show the world that Jesus is sufficient for you in your hardships. Watch what else happened from Paul's imprisonment. The bad things that have happened to you can, number two, encourage other Christians to be more confident in Christ and bolder and fearless in their evangelism. In verse 14, Paul said, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's imprisonment was actually inspiring Christians, encouraging them, building them up, strengthening them. In verse 14, take a look. What were were most of the brothers confident in? Was it their personality? Was it their, their intellect, their skills, their influence? No, their confidence was in the Lord. Paul's imprisonment for Christ inspired their greater confidence in the Lord. They were, they were excited to see what God was doing by his power and his grace in Paul's life, and they were drawing encouragement and strength from that. God was at work despite his incarceration. In fact, most had become bolder in proclaiming the word of Christ without fear. Their daring and fearless evangelism arose from their confidence in the Lord that came because of Paul's hardship. It was dangerous to preach Christ in the Roman Empire. Uh, The gospel threatened the imperial cult, and therefore, the entire power and authority of the Roman Empire. Preaching the supremacy of Christ will uh, bring something out of your enemies towards you. The kind of boldness Paul was talking about is kind of like the rush that you get jumping off of a cliff into water. 
Uh, when I was in college at Grove City, a bunch of us uh, went out to this abandoned quarry, and uh, it was my freshman year of high school or college. And we went to, to cliff jump into this very cold water, and I must say, it was awesome. I mean, it was quite a rush jumping off. I, I don't remember the footage. It might have been 25, 30 feet, but it's, it, it was absolutely fun. But you needed to work up the nerve. And you might have been in a situation like this where you're looking at it and you're like, yeah, and you're like, who to do? And you're just taking your good old time and you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. No, I'm not. You know, and then you work it up and finally something clicks in you and you're like, it's go time. And you jump and you fall and you splash and it's awesome. And, and that kind of urge is what Paul's talking about. That, that daring spirit, that take the plunge. Is, is what he's getting at. And when Paul says much more bold, he meant their boldness had increased because Paul's imprisonment built their confidence in Christ. That's why they were so daring. People confident in Christ do daring things for God. Don't forget that. You'd think the threat of incarceration or worse death would keep everyone quiet. Just don't say anything. I'll just do good things and let them see God by my good works. But I'm not going to say anything because it's just going to get me into a whole load of trouble. So I'll just keep my mouth shut as a Christian. Just, just do good works. Well, that's not what was happening here. When saints see God's bold grace working in bold saints to produce in them, it produces in them then bold faith and bold evangelism. They didn't keep quiet. They didn't avoid conflict. They daringly took the good news of the person and work of Jesus public in a hostile environment. No, no less. Now, we might not suffer like Paul suffers, although I will say that persecution for Christ is increasing in the United States. It is. Just read about some of the court cases across our land, and you'll see it. It is coming, friends. But all of us... Even if we haven't experienced persecution, have had unwarranted evil committed against us. Things that were totally out of line. And if we joyfully and unwaveringly preach Christ in our hardship, so many, strength, so many saints can be strengthened and inspired by us. Well, God gets so much glory. How loving would it be for you to live in a way that just shows the supremacy of Christ in your things? to your brothers and sisters, and they grow. And they're like, I'm going to be more bold. <laughs> they can do it. I can do it. You know what I'm saying? When you face the bad things done against you, don't slip into hopelessness, despair, anxiety, bleakness, or pessimism. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Walk by the Spirit. We need you. We need you, brother, sister, to preach Christ and advance the gospel so we, the rest of the saints, can find greater confidence in Christ and proclaim Christ with more boldness and less fear. You can actually have a huge impact on us by how you go through your hardship and rep Christ. And you can do this no matter what your age Andrew White, an Anglican priest who served in Iraq until exiled under orders of Archbishop of Canterbury because of danger, tells this story where ISIS came to a father and said, if you don't convert to Islam, we'll kill your kids. 
And so under the pressure, he said the Islam prayer. And afterwards, he felt horrible about it. He called Andrew White. Oh, well, well Jesus, forgive me. And, and, and he felt remorse, and he wondered if Jesus would forgive him. The next day, ISIS, un, unbeknownst to the parents, went to this guy's children and asked them to convert to Islam. And the children responded, no. We love Yeshua. We follow Yeshua or Jesus. And the kids' heads were taken off. Their deaths are not in vain. Those children are meant to encourage you a million times over so you can see the value of Christ. You can see the beauty of Christ. You can see the glory of Christ. More and more and to make you bold when when it comes a time when you're supposed to proclaim Christ. Kids filled with the Spirit do radical things for God like this. And so ISIS might not show up at your door, but your boss might ask you to do something. And you might be, your job might be on the line. Or a classmate of yours might make fun of you because they hear that you're a Christian and you love Jesus. Say, no, I love Jesus. I stand with him. You may not die as a martyr. But how you treasure and priest Christ through the inequalities in your life can embolden the saints. Tim and I are constantly looking for people to share their Christ-exalting testimony. So few of you have. And so I just want to encourage you. You have a story to tell. And you can present Christ for us. We want you to tell your story, and so maybe God will put it on your heart that one of you would want to share what God has done in your life just so we can get to Christ quickly, and you can proclaim Him. If Paul's imprisonment wasn't bad enough, something else was happening. The bad things that have happened to you can, number three, be used to defend the authenticity and authority of the gospel. Paul wasn't the only one preaching the gospel. Other brothers were daringly preaching Christ, but some with wrong motives. Picking up in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These brothers preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They were telling the truth. They were orthodox, but they preached in a spiteful way, a contentious way, a way that that rubbed it in the face of Paul, who was in chains. They didn't show love to Paul. They didn't support Paul. The Philippians supported Paul, but they didn't. They preached Christ. That was a great thing. All of them were furthering the gospel. They just didn't show love and support to Paul as they They furthered the gospel as they preached. Some, though, they loved Paul. And they preached Christ from goodwill. Uh, They knew the sovereignty of God over Paul's circumstances. You can see it in verse 16. The word which is translated, I am put here, suggests a divine decree, a divine appointment. God decreed Paul's chains. 
And the Goodwill brothers knew that Paul was in prison to make a defense for the gospel. They knew Paul's incarceration was for the greater good of the growth of Christianity in the Roman world. But, but some of those brothers, they were rivals. Their motivation was selfish. Verse 17 says they proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. They wanted to advance themselves and to rub it in the face of Paul. They sought to make it harder for Paul. A quick aside... This is so dangerous for pastors, Um, including me. Sometimes I preach Christ to make a name for me. Sometimes I preach Christ so that I can look good. Sometimes I preach Christ because I want you to think well of me. Sometimes I feel competition with other pastors. (laughs) What is up with that? That's sick, people. And it's so discouraging to the saints. It doesn't help us the momentum to keep going forward. See, through the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, we are unified side by side, working to advance one gospel, one Christ. That's it. You know, we've got to put the selfish ambition aside. Me first. Our ambition should be preaching Christ alone and advancing the gospel. There are much better preachers than me. I know that. And I need to cheer those guys on when they're, they're seeing converts and they're baptizing people and their churches are exploding with growth. And I say, yes, keep going for the sake of Christ. And not be like, I was just, no. You know what it would be like, and you probably have some variation of that in your own life. You sick and twisted. No, I I am too. All right. Notice who knew that Paul was put in chains for the defense of the gospel. Who saw the sovereignty of God at work? Who was it from the passage? It was those who preach the gospel out of love and goodwill. That's who saw the sovereignty of God Verses 15 and 16, those who could see God's true purpose in Paul's chains were those who preach Christ with love and goodwill, not those who preach Christ from rivalry and envy and selfish ambition. Bad motives can hinder our perspective on God's grace and work in the world. Now, hear me clearly on this. God is sovereign over everything in your life. Everything. Everything. Even the bad things that happen to you. All of it works together for the purpose of you defending the gospel. Showing that it has teeth. That it's real. That it has power. That it works. That Jesus is awesome. That's the purpose. There is a way for you to take all that has happened to you and use it to make a rational, to make a reasoned case for the legitimacy of the power and grace of the gospel. You show the gospel to be true by how you preach Christ and live for him. You show it to be legit. And that is what Paul was doing so well. He was being a model for the Philippians to follow. He says later, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Look at my example. That's what Paul is saying. So here's the challenge. Make a compelling case for the gospel of Jesus Christ by using your hardship to preach Christ Thus showing that Christ is your matchless joy. 
Bitterness, anger, cynicism, sourness, hopelessness do not make Christ look supreme. But using hardship to advance the gospel does. It does. And when you think you can't believe that God can through you. Because when I think of that, I'm just like, I am going to get owned by bitterness and anger when this stuff happens. How can I even, God, I want to, I can't. And he says, oh, yes, you can. I will do it through you. Now look to me, and I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Paul believed this, and that's why he lived and he wrote the way that he did. Paul wrote an astonishing sentence that dares you to believe what I'm saying. The bad things that have happened to you can, number four, increase your joy if you rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. The reason that verse 18 is daring is the context of Paul writing it. He was unjustly in chains and he was very uncomfortable. Some brothers were envious rivals and preaching Christ out of selfish ambition to actually afflict Paul as he was in prison. It's a real boost of confidence. Thank you, brothers. And when that type of things, when those types of things happen, it's easy for us to feel angry. To, to, to resent those people who are doing those things, to resent our situation, to say, why do you have this for me, God? Why am I here? And, and you start feeling sorry for yourself, and your focus tends to zero in on you and your circumstances. It's easy for all of us to do, but this is what Paul wrote. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In that I rejoice. One thing made Paul rejoice, that Christ Jesus was being proclaimed. That made him happy. He could have, think of the things he could have written in verse 18. Stinking brothers preaching, they're going to hell. You know, I don't know what he would have written, but, and he might have been feeling those things. I don't know. There's a lot of things that he could have written in verse 18, but he didn't. Even if some brothers were sinning against him and shoving their preaching in his face, his joy was anchored in the proclamation of Christ. That's amazing. You, you can do that, like Paul, when Christ is your supreme treasure. Then you do things like that. Now, pretense in this verse means that some of the brothers were putting on a show. They were acting, and they were concealing their true motives. Instead of, hey, let's preach Christ because Christ is awesome, they were like, hey, let's pre preach Christ so we can make Paul feel bad. Just not a, not a good, good thing. But here's what Paul's attitude was. Hey, if Christ is being proclaimed, then I'm happy because what I want to happen most is actually happening through my... So I'll be glad to take it. What a selfless, Christ-centered happiness. Paul's point in verse 18 was not to say that motives don't matter. You need to be careful with that. Uh, they do matter, and they do matter a lot. His point was to say that for him, it was all important that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. His joy was in Christ alone. If Paul's primary concern was his own comfort and safety and success or making a name for himself or or his progress, or his reputation, or his pride, then he would not have been able to sincerely write verse 18. But he wrote verse 18 because he valued Christ above himself, and therefore all that mattered to him was the preaching of Christ. What injustices have been committed against you? 
Do they continue to cause you pain? If so, I understand. There are some wounds that go very deep. And they're still, oh, that one's still tender. So if that's you, I hope that these seven verses can help you work through your pain in a new way this morning. First, see that God has a purpose in your hardships, the advance of the gospel. That's the purpose. Instead of believing the lie that your, your hardships are meaningless, that, that God has no purpose in it, that God couldn't stop it, that, there's, that it's so far, you are so far beyond God working any good in those circumstances, don't you believe that lie? Believe Romans 8, 28, that God can and will bring good if you love him. Believe verse 12 in Philippians 1 for yourself. Okay? Second, fulfill God's purpose for your hardships. Proclaim Christ through them. Don't be afraid to share with people what Christ is doing in your, in your life, how he is most, most precious, and how your hardship is actually for Christ. All right, for his glory, for his praise, for his admiration. Share with people how Jesus Christ has sustained you through the hardship and, and, and deepened your love for him through the hardship and, and deepen your love for others and then defend the legitimate... The, 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 oh, wow. Can we edit that out? All right. What was I even saying? Oh, defend the legitimacy of the gospel by how you live and work through your hardship. Make Christ's power in your life known so that others are challenged and encouraged and inspired to speak more freely about Jesus Christ and to evangelize. All right, thirdly, rejoice in God's purpose for your hardships. Be glad that you have an opportunity to preach Christ in a very unique way, in a hard way, this is why we need to encourage one another so much because some things are so hard to go through. And we're like, I can't, I just can't. And then we, we can through God and through our brothers and sisters encouraging us. You have an opportunity, a unique one, to present Christ to people, to proclaim him loudly and to advance the gospel. Find your joy in anything, and I mean anything, that gets the true and pure message of Christ out there. Love those things. Rejoice in those things. When you see, fulfill, and rejoice in God's magnificent purpose in the bad things that have happened to you, you glorify God, dear brother and sister. You glorify God. You show him to be supremely good, and that true joy transcends hardships of this world. Amen? My guess is that if you take these verses to heart and you take the application that I've that I've given you here and laid out for you this morning, you will be more equipped to endure the painful circumstances in your life, the hardships. And you'll, you'll be more uh, equipped to endure them with joy and see the meaning in them and use them to bring glory to God. And bringing glory to God is what life is all about. Let's pray. God, thank you for the testimony of the dear children in Iraq. Thank you for the testimony of Elizabeth Elliot and Francis Chan and Tony Dungy. Thank you for the, the wonderful testimony of saints at this church that have gone through hard things but have presented Christ. God, we need you to help us represent Christ well 
in our hardship because we get flattened by hardship. It's too painful. We can't go on. And you shake your head to that saying, of course you can't, but I can, and I'll carry you through. So I pray that whoever is just beat down this morning, that you will build them up in these seven verses. And I pray that they would believe it with all of their heart and see that you have a glorious purpose to proclaim Christ in their hardship. And I pray that your spirit works in them to do just that. And that, God, they will get the joy that comes from from proclaiming Christ in hardship. Thank you for the saints at Jerusalem. Thank you for the guests that we have with us. And I pray that you will build them up and encourage them in their hardship, that they would see the purpose and that they would glorify God and find greater joy in you. We need you to do this, sovereign God, and we need to believe that you will. So strengthen us now. Strengthen your saints, all for your glory and the advance of your glorious gospel. In Christ's name we pray.